Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Um, it's a privilege to be sharing with you this morning um, as we're in our series called Forever Changed. I'm looking at people whose encounters with Jesus changed the trajectory of their lives. And really that applies to anyone who encountered Jesus. But um, the story I want to share with you guys today is um, kind of a story of, of two sides of, of what happened when people met Jesus. And um, not everybody responded to him in the in the positive way that um, that we would hope. So I'm going to read a story to you today. It's one that you've probably heard. Um, and I'm going to tell you a message that you've also probably heard. I'm just telling you that right now. There's, uh, there's something profound, though, about hearing the things that we already know. You can never know <coughs> the gospel so well that God can't speak something into your heart. You know, there's a difference between reading the words and having the words, like, enter your heart like, a, like the two-edged sword that the Bible describes itself as. And so <clears throat> what I'm praying for today is that God would take his words and just burn them deep into us, into a place where we know them so much that we live them. That any of these things that you've heard a million times and it's easy to blow through, you would be able to rest in them and see them fresh today. And that's my... That's my prayer. So, Jesus, would you do that, and would you be with us as we read your word? Um, Let us talk about you like you're here, because you are. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18 today. If you want to go there with me, we're going to read a couple different passages from it. And um, we're going to start in verse 9. So Luke 18, verse 9. And this is is a parable that Jesus told. He was always always talking in parables and saying things that were somewhat controversial in somewhat shielded language. He said it was so that the people who wanted to hear would hear, and the people who didn't would not understand. Um, But this is a story that I'm sure you've heard before. And it's a parable... (laughs) Luke, uh, Luke, as an author, sometimes adds his little commentaries to you and about why Jesus told his parables. And in verse 9, Luke tells us that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So the story is that two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisees were the self-appointed keepers of the law. They prided themselves on their religious observance and they had not only kept all the rules, you know, hundreds of rules that were in the Torah, but had added many more that they were also following, much to their own delight. And and the tax collectors, as Evan talked about last week, were outcasts of Jewish society, sympathizers with the enemy occupiers, right? So these are the lowest of the low. So these are the two guys that went to pray. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus was always turning things on their heads like that and making making people angry. And I, uh, what I was struck by, I mean, there, there's a lot to talk about here, but I want to actually move on and read another another couple sections in here as well because um, something that like is easy to do in in the church or just even in your own time of reading is like your Bible probably has like little headings above the different sections. And so you could be like, oh, I'm just going to read this section and then I'm going to be done. And that's fine. It helps us find things. But I just, I hope you guys all know that those headings are not actually part of the Bible, right? So the people that wrote, um, and sometimes they're actually not helpful. So the people that wrote the Bible wrote in and connected their narratives together in meaningful ways. And Luke is one of the, like, the prime guys that he was very careful about how he arranged the stories that he told. And they connect together over much longer spaces than that heading. Because that part I just read is the heading in mine. You know, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Like it just stands alone. But actually Luke has something more for us in the rest of this same chapter. You know also that the chapters are not part of the Bible either. That's just for us to find things. The verses, we all added, we added all that stuff later. So, but thankfully this one is in the same chapter in Luke 18 where he... Um, He's going to illustrate, right? Because it's not just a story. It's easy. <clears throat> the thing about stories is, or like maybe you've heard speakers do this, where they make some great analogy, and you're like, okay, great analogy, but that's not real world life, right? But um, Luke is actually about to illustrate both sides of this parable to us in the stories that are coming in this chapter. So um, if you, um, we're, gonna, we're not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to skip around, but... Um, you know, Jesus talked about how, also how children receive the kingdom. And I, man, there's so much to go into there. I'm going to skip that. That part is awesome too. But then um, going down to verse 18, um, I just want you guys to see the, the parallels with what is up at the top. And I just want to draw a couple very simple conclusions for us and how God wants us to live from these. So in Luke 18, 18, We've got a ruler coming to Jesus with a question. Now, a ruler, he, he might have been a Pharisee. The Pharisees were kind of a ruling class over the Jews, even though the, you know, the Jewish nation was occupied by Rome at the time, so the actual rulers were Romans. But you know, the, the Pharisees and others, the teachers of the law, exerted a spiritual authority over the Jewish people. So this guy might have also been a Pharisee, but anyway, he was a man of power. And he came to Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Well, <laughs> an interesting question. But <clears throat> then he said, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. 
And the ruler said, All these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, the ruler became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So, do you see the connection there between this ruler and the and the Pharisee who was praying just a you know not not too long ago? This is um, a person who came to Jesus with um, thinking that he was really bringing something to the table, right? Um, if you read the Pharisee's prayer in Jesus' story, it, it, he's basically praying to himself, right? Like, oh God, thank you that I'm so great. You know, it's like a, the person being honored in this prayer is him, right? And he's probably praying it loudly, just standing and just orating his prayer to the masses, right? God, look at all that I'm bringing to the table. I bring you my tithe on everything, and I fast twice a week, he said, I think. Is, is that in this one? There's, this story is in different Gospels, so I can't remember if it's in this one or not. That's very intense. And I'm not like this guy or these other bad guys. <clears throat> and the, the ruler that came to Jesus kind of came full of his own ideas as well, you know. He hit Jesus first with flattery, right? Oh, good teacher, what should I, what should I do? And Jesus is like, are, are you sure you know what you're saying there? Are, are you really meaning to say that I'm God? <laughs> Jesus is funny like that because he was, but it, that he called him out for, you know, that he started not by answering his question, but calling out his potential hypocrisy um, is probably not what this man of influence was expecting, not how he was expecting to be treated. Anyone would, should consider it a privilege to talk to me, of course. And so Jesus starts him off with that. He, he sees through the flattery. But then he's like, oh, what, what must I do, right? Because if, anyone, if anyone's going to be able to do it, it's going to be me. I have all this resource. You know, maybe I can fund some huge project that people will remember my name, you know, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? Because I can do it. I'm strong enough. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> Jesus, you know, maybe, maybe expectedly, maybe not. He's like, well, you know what you're supposed to be doing. You know what the commandments are, obviously. You know, you're a teacher. You're a, a lawman. And, and here came the guy with some more of his accomplishments. I've, I've kept all of these from my youth. Even when I was a kid, I didn't mess these up. Easy. And, uh, and so then Jesus kind of, he saw, you know, we don't want to make any of what Jesus said into a universal prescription for all of us. Every, all of us are in different positions but Jesus saw exactly through to the root of what was keeping this guy away and it was himself essentially it was all me he's a he's a me monster 
as Brian Regan called it, if you know him. And, um, and Jesus just kind of looked right through and he said, I, I, have a, I have a big project that you could fund. How about you sell all that you have and just distribute it to poor people, people that will never be able to pay you back, people who won't spread your praises and your glory around the city. Um, no, you know, nobodies. Nobodies. People, the lowest of the low, just like the, the tax collector from his story earlier. And, you know, I, <clears throat> it says that he, he went away sad because he was really rich. Now, I hope, I mean, I've always hoped for this guy. That it just says he went away sad. It doesn't ever say if he actually ended up doing it or not. It just said that it made him sad. I hope, man, I hope that his heart turned around and he actually did what Jesus said. But he didn't do it right then. That's all we know. He went away sad. And to me, it's easy. It's, you know, I think if Jesus had asked him to, like, build some monument or do some glorious thing, he probably would have done it, right? Um, reminds me of the story in the Old Testament of the the foreign, the Syrian general Naaman who came to Elijah is like, how do, how do I get healing? What do I have to do? You know, tell me some mirac- you know, military conquest or something I have to do. And Elijah told him, you know, why don't you just go bathe in this muddy river? <laughs> kind of the same thing here. What he, what Jesus asked him to do is not glorious. Just sell all the things that you have and give them to poor people and you'll have treasure in heaven. And, <laughs> you know that was that was harder for him to do than than the the glorious public work and i I think like the the lesson that Jesus is showing like this is what it looks like maybe someone would know i don't know if people actually did those kind of prayers that he talked about in the temple. It sounds like they probably did people probably would have identified but like in case you think like that's an extreme example, like here's what it looks like in real life when we're too caught up with ourselves to do what Jesus asks us to do. Um, you know, when we think that we have something to offer or when we think that we have something more important to be doing with our time, this is, this is what it looks like for us. Oh, I have lots of possessions. You know, we... We come to Jesus with our great morals and our, um, you know, whatever, whatever level of human influence we have. I'm like, here, I'm offering you some big thing. And Jesus, was, Jesus probably would say the same to us. Oh, I really don't need any of that. But here's how you can be free from that to join in with me. And... Man, that's the thing. I, I'll... Maybe I'll say this again at the end, but not to like steal my own thunder, but something I've noticed about Jesus is that people that came to him with their hands full of things, like full of riches, full of you know law keeping, full of even anxiety, you know, full of all the things that were always full of pride, contention, he was always asking them to empty their hands, let it go. When we approach Jesus with our hands full, he is asking us to just drop it down, empty. 
But the other side of the story, the tax collector, just downcast, have mercy on me. If, if we come to Jesus with our hands empty, he wants to fill them with the things that he has. And the one has to happen before the other often. You know, maybe that's like a, you know, a church cliche, but like, Jesus can't fill your hands if you're holding on to too many. It's, it's kind of true. Some things become cliches for a reason. You know, if you're holding on to things, Jesus would have you drop those down. And it's not because he's trying to make you prove yourself. It's because he loves you and he knows what the best thing for you is. You know, if you came to Jesus with your list of accomplishments, maybe you don't have a bunch of money, but you have other things that you come to Jesus and be like, hey, at this, and oh, look at all the commandments I've kept. He might ask you to lay them down in a totally different way. What would Jesus want to take out of your hands today? What's the stuff that you carry to him that he wants to take out of your hands? It might be worth taking a moment to just kind of rest in that one. After another little intermission in the chapter, also filled with amazing things that it's a shame to skip, but moving down to verse 35, Jesus is going to, you know, Luke, we don't know exactly the chronology of things, but like Luke grouped these things together on purpose. Here's the other side of the Pharisee and the tax collector, parable in action. Um, So Jesus... As he drew near to Jericho. So Jesus was walking at this time. He was on his way to Jerusalem to, to meet the end, to, to finish the work that God had put ahead of him. But he was, he was walking, and Jesus being in the day before you could have like Twitter followers and Facebook followers had actual followers. He, he had people that, like a big crowd of people that actually followed him, like literally. So a big crowd was following him. Although his... His like analytics weren't super good, right? His number of followers was always like swinging wildly up and down based on the things that he would say. They would all leave sometimes. Sometimes there were thousands. He needed a maybe he needed a manager for his like media, but <laughs> he was coming to Jericho, and a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. This is verse thirty-five of Luke eighteen. Uh, we know from one of the other gospels that this guy's name was Bartimaeus. Uh, and hearing a crowd going by, Bartimaeus inquired what this meant. This wasn't like a normal thing. So they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of the crowd, kind of trying to do crowd control, rebuked him, telling him to be silent, because I mean, he was making a scene. Jesus was trying to with his followers. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So you see the connection, right? The, the tax collector in the parable, eyes downcast, wouldn't even look. This guy, eyes literally blinded, couldn't see a thing, wouldn't, didn't even know how to look to Jesus, just like realized that he was in the right place. Kind of like the guy in the temple, like, I'm here, I don't really even know why I'm here, I'm standing off to the side, I won't look at anyone, but I, here I am in the right place to get what I need. And the prayer is the same thing, right? The, the tax collector said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this guy said, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy is the prayer of someone who's not bringing anything to the table. There's no deserving. I, they, in fact, I actively don't deserve this. Even in this culture, you know, people who were like born with congenital, like, congenital defects, people thought it was the result of their parents' sin. Like, what a tough like belief system to live under. They're like, oh, not only is something wrong with you physically, but also something's wrong with you spiritually. Um, just really harsh and, and unkind. And, and so all, all that he could muster as a prayer was just have mercy on me. And... Uh, that was the prayer that stopped the crowd. <laughs> Jesus was like, wait, I just heard something that's more important than what all of us are doing right now. Yeah. Stop the train, <laughs> you know, and, and bring that guy over here. And, uh, and, and Jesus' response to him is so, is so unexpected, right? Jesus was just the master of humility and the, the master of giving people their dignity. Um, when, the, when the blind man came near, Jesus asked him, and I, I just have to believe that this is as much as for him and it's also for us. He, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? There was no, like... For one thing, he didn't just assume, okay, clearly you're blind, I'm a healer, you want sight, here you go. They're like, let's move on. No, he's like, I actually care about you and what you care about. And that's, a, that's important for us. That's a lesson that we could all do to learn. We might think we know what's wrong with people's lives around us, but a lot of times that's just like pride and condescension. Like, you might go to pray for someone that's in a wheelchair, but maybe they're actually depressed. Maybe they need hope more than they need to use their legs. You know, what is it that you want? Jesus said, and you know, the, didn't take the guy long. He's like, "Lord, let me recover my sight." You know, he he wasn't uh, resigned to a life of begging, which is really all he could do. Like in those days, if you were blind, there was no like 
accessibility software for your computer. Like all you really were going to be doing was sitting there begging, and all you would really have is your clothes and whatever change was in your cup that day. And you know, maybe maybe some of us become complacent with begging, but not this guy. He he said, I want to recover my sight. I want to, I want to do stuff. I want more than this. And, and I, what Jesus said to him is just so wonderful. He's like, well, then recover your sight. Just <laughs> and he said that his faith had made him well. And I feel like that word would apply to the tax collector from the story as well. You know, it says that in that parable that that man went down to his house justified, right? We know that we're justified by faith, my faith alone. And so what that man was displaying in his prayer of have mercy on me, a sinner, was just faith. Simple faith in someone that wasn't him. It wasn't any of his own accomplishments. It was just in the person of Jesus. I have faith in you. You're the only one whose mercy does anything for me because I'm a sinner. And that's, that's the faith that this, um, this guy had. Um, uh, as uh, one of my favorite bands, Jars of Clay, put it, just the faith of an empty hand. And that is, uh, that's what Jesus is looking for from us, is the faith of an empty hand. We, you know... And that's the faith that is going to make us well. As we can just release all those things that we hold and come to Jesus with need and nothing else. You know? <laughs> the, uh, the main difference, I think, that I can find between the, you know, the ruler and the blind man or the Pharisee and the tax collector is just that the blind man was more aware that he didn't have anything better to be doing than being with Jesus. The more stuff you have, the easier it is to forget that, but it's equally true for everybody. There is nothing better for any of us to be doing than being with Jesus. What that following means for us means different things. You know, whether it means, you know, using wealth for his kingdom and being generous, giving it away, whether it means... You know, using nothing. In the, in the telling of the story in Mark, Jesus tells him, oh, just go your way. You're, you know, your faith has healed you. And what he decides to do is follow Jesus and praise him. And well, going my way means going your way now, right? That's what he's saying. And the, <laughs> that's, that's the thing that we all need to be able to say in our hearts. We need to be able to say like i i'm not i'm not really not bringing anything to the table there's nothing i could be better spending my time on than spending all of my time energy money all the things that i have on jesus and and that's that's how this guy ended up being like changed by his encounter with jesus as he came with that empty hand the guy that came with his hands full, he got the challenge. Hopefully he rose to the challenge later. I, I really hope he did. But um, 
But we don't know if he, if he was changed. He might have been holding on to too many things. But we know that this, this faith of an empty hand is what Jesus honored, what, what brought salvation to this guy. You know, when Jesus in his, in his time, when they talked about salvation, the Jews were talking about, you know, set us free from the Romans. They weren't even necessarily thinking of like the spiritual reality of like the afterlife. And I, I think it is pretty easy. Like we are cool with trusting Jesus to like get us to heaven, but it's harder for us to trust Jesus for the salvation that we need now. The salvation that we need from things like depression or illness or financial difficulty. Those are the ones that are, that is also a thing that salvation means. Like, Lord, save me because I need, I need to be saved. I have physical needs and I have spiritual needs. I'm not bringing anything to the table in any one of these. You know, the, the rich guy also was very proud of his moral record. Um, are any of you proud of your moral record? Uh, being too hard on yourself and too high on yourself can be equally damaging in that, by the way. Thinking too, you're too much of a worm and too much of a saint are potentially equally problematic because there can equally be just too much of you and not enough of Jesus, I need you. But what the question I just felt that Jesus was, and I just want to end with this, that the, the question of Jesus is the same as it was for the blind man, I think. And I just want to encourage us to take a few minutes as we close the service now to really ask Jesus the question, like, well, not ask him, like, let him ask you the question, is what I'm saying. What do you want me to do for you? Because um, if you can't think of anything, that might mean that you're trying to do it yourself. That might mean you don't think you need things. And, but I think the question would be the same for all of us. Jesus has things he wants to give us. So, Jesus, we welcome you to speak to us now. And we hear you asking us the question, what do you want me to do? I ask God that you would allow us to see what our hearts are needing. That we would drop the baggage that we carry to your throne and come to you with open hands. Maybe what God wants to do with you today is just to put those dreams in you. What, what dreams is it? What, what can you ask him for? Maybe you don't even know what to ask him for today. Maybe he can start to give you dreams for something that's bigger than you. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is asking. Let's just be silent as we uh, allow our hearts to answer that question. If you're you're listening online, you might not hear it, but a baby's crying right now, and maybe your heart sounds like that before the Lord. Also in the same chapter, Jesus said, let the little children come to me because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you don't come in like a little child, you can't come in.
If your heart is doing that today, you are welcome. Babies don't have any trouble with the question, what do you want me to do for you? As we just um, stay in this in this place of like worship and letting the Lord speak to us, I want to invite Jonathan to come up and um, just play and, and lead us uh, in worship. Just continue to let your hearts connect to the Lord. Know that He invites you and has this question for you. This this one has just struck my heart so deeply. I'm sorry if you've heard it already. Like if you're you're in my small group or if you're in the kids class that I was at, I just keep talking about this story because. It's just the the question is so powerful. What do you want me to do for you? And just let those words sink sink into your heart, things that you've probably heard before. Let it sink in this morning. Let it change you and and just what we welcome Jesus into all of that.